Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're playing crickets? <sighs> this is why I drink. I'm Sue Houston from Dying with Dignity Canada, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Stop laughing, Scott. Coming at you live from Jesus Supposed Tomb, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I ask you, why is it that when a door is open, it's a jar, but when a jar is open, it's not a door? Joining me as usual is a team that figured out that Disney World is actually a people trap operated by a mouse. She busted a mirror and got seven years bad luck, but her lawyer thinks she could get four years. Nancy. Oh, wow. I think my bad luck has just turned the corner. Oh, <laughs> so, good luck for everybody. She was trying to daydream, but her mind kept wandering away. Teresa. Your cricket thing ain't working. No, there it is. <laughs> and he warned me that if I was going to hang myself with a bungee cord, I'd keep almost dying. Scott. Oh, it's good to hear you last ago. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. <laughs> uh, that's a serious show, obviously, about atheism, positive atheism, skeptical thinking, and secular humanism. And we have two guests in, uh, in uh, the so-called studio with us today in Jesus' tomb. We got uh, Chris and uh, Zach. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us, Kevin. Welcome yeah, it's back. It's good to be here. Chris, it's your second time here, and Zach, it's your first. That's right. So, uh, Zach, you do know that uh, as the newest uh, one to come here, you're supposed to bring the beer, right? Uh, that's that's for later, right? It is for later. Okay, okay. <laughs> Tailgate party. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Um, there's something we got to talk about, and that's uh, kind of disturbing. And We have to talk about the uh, what happened this week with United Airlines. Now, did you guys uh, see and hear this uh, video footage? Very, very disturbing. Yeah, let, let, let me play just a little bit of it. This is the, uh, the video footage of a gentleman that was uh, essentially forced out of the airplane. This poor guy, he's been uh, for, uh, forcibly uh, evicted from his seat. What happened in United Airlines is... Um, they overbooked the plane, and it's common practice in the States. And uh, what they did after that is a crew of, of uh, the United crew had to go to a specific destination, so they wanted to board the plane. So then they asked for volunteers to uh, exit the plane. So they offered, like uh, I think it was like $400 at first, and people said, no, I'm not doing that. And then they offered $800, and then people, one of them said, well, uh, this, this fellow actually, David Dowell, 69 years old, he's a doctor, and he volunteered at first, apparently. But when they told him that, 
he'd be able to take a flight, but it would take at least 24 hours, I believe, before he could get back on that, that flight. He said, I'm a doctor. I've got patients waiting. I can't do it. So then United went and said, oh, you know, too bad. Uh, we have to uh, pick some people to get out. And uh, they randomly picked people, including himself, that guy. And uh, they essentially called the cops and forced him out. And uh, they kind of brutally handled the fellow. And he ended up with a concussion and a broken nose and two missing teeth. Um, and dragged him down the aisle yeah, in front and, of and all of the passengers. And he spent the to, night in the hospital. To add insult to the already established He spent injuries. five days in the hospital, actually, for reconstructive yeah. surgery. And, uh, so, yeah, so that, that was pretty uh, awful. And then, of course, to make it even worse, the CEO, Oscar Munez, uh, seemed to blame the passenger for uh, being uncooperative. I mean, are you kidding me? And what, what, welcome to. There's a man who needs to start with sensitivity training and never get out. <laughs> just, I mean, he's got to be a perpetual student. It was just, it was a jaw dropper to begin with. And then for him to get on and exacerbate the situation with exactly. every word he said. It was a, uh, how did he ever get to be it, CEO? It was a good. It was a good jaw dropper. A CEO, uh, I think he took his knocks because uh, the company lost nine hundred million. Yes, in, they lost uh, almost a billion. Which is a good start. Yes, it's a good, <laughs> I, well, they haven't seen the lawsuit yet. Apparently, you know, this is uh, allegedly because I haven't actually found the uh, uh, the the the, uh, the the text about this. But apparently, the all the passengers, the uh, doctor um, David Dow there was readmitted to the plane, and he was bleeding all over himself. Right, and he's he's concussed and he's dizzy and he's trying to, you know, he looks almost like a drunk trying to get out of an airplane at this point. He says, "I need to get home. I need to get home." And the passengers, one of the passengers says, "You know what? This is this is stupid." He got off the plane and apparently the rest of them pretty much followed. And now United apparently reimbursed pretty much all these passengers for their. And his their wife ticket. was on the plane with him. She was oh, also really? a doctor. Oh, is that so? He has four. He has five children. I think four of them are are doctors. Wow. So uh, welcome to the United States of uh, I don't care this is this is business, and uh, which prompted right here, the transport minister Mark Garneau, to actually issue a very clear warning to Canadian Airlines. He says I am writing to you today to convey that such an incident would be unacceptable in Canada. So it prompted our own government to actually step in and say Hey, wait a minute, this kind of bullshit better never happen. But however, in the United States, the uh, there is a passenger bill of rights for passengers in airplanes, but there is no such thing in Canada. So some of the critics of Margaret Arnault have been basically saying, you know what, even if you threaten, it could happen in Canada, but I really would see how this is, I, I have a hard time seeing how this would actually happen. Yeah, there is a passenger bill of rights, but there also, in the small mouse print, there also are things where the airline has the ability to disembark you. I mm. thought they could only do that before passengers actually were seated, but um, I'm kind of unclear as to how that works. But when you buy the ticket, you also um, uh, agree to the contract not to be dragged out mm. by the armpits, but it looks like this is really going to be a game changer by the time it, it gets uh, gets it gets through, you know, for for passengers. Yeah. So say what you like about our government, but you know, it seems that eh, it's kind of cool to see the government step up to something like that. So, way to go, way to go, Canada. There you go. <laughs> step it up. <laughs> so there should be a bill of rights coming into Parliament fairly soon about all this. So 
We'll see yeah, what happens. Yeah, well, then. stay stay tuned. I ho I hope this turns out well for uh, for the doubt. He he hired um, pretty high powered. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Team of lawyers in Chicago. I'm sure, lawyers were just throwing themselves at him yeah. at this point. I was going to say, I don't <laughs> yeah, think he I, had I to hire them. Go, I think they kind of lined up. <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to go after the airlines and the pilot and the, um, the the security company or the not the security company but the airport police who, and all yeah, stuff. Who, yeah the airport who police. has these uh, officers security so-called gestapo oh i'm sorry security officers <laughs> you know that, that carried this whatever out. happened to the times where you know flying was almost a gentleman's thing you know where people dressed up their sunday past and uh, you know pan am the days of pan am and everybody was nice and civil wow. people were like, willing to pay you, you can get those seats. They're about $3,000 to go across the country. Yeah, they But most people want to pay $500, so that's what they get. You get what you pay for. Yeah, I don't know. The well, $500 seats didn't exist. Well, uh, when greed took over and they, they started to reconfigure the planes to give you less uh, seating room, less leg yes. room, charging oh, for... Um, baggage for carry-ons, well, charging for going to the bathroom or whatever. Working it is. with aircraft yeah. and, Civility and working left. with the companies, it is very expensive. It's very cutthroat, and passengers aren't willing to pay what it's actually you'll, worth you'll to, to fly. Take, you'll have to take a cut in wages, Scott, so we can all <laughs> send you your hate mail. Sure, but, Scott, you know. I left at value.com if your airplane ticket is too expensive. Well, well no, no, it's, it's, I'm just, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. The, 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 value of the ticket i mean people want to pay as little as possible if they can save a dollar that's they'll true. they'll true. fly naked air to save a buck hey, right? that's, there's an idea. <clears throat> they don't actually put seats in the airplane they just strap you to the floor with a cargo strap okay. and and this is and you're saving a buck so you're going to fly that way are the stewardess naked no oh. well, no there's, the, there's no flight attendants on those flights they just they strap you to the floor and you know <laughs> Well, when there was real competition, I think there was a little more civility. But when you eliminate competition, so you only have three major carriers, they can pretty well do what they want to do because you got to go from point A to B. Yeah. You got to go from point A to B. Yeah, yeah. And if you've got to meet flights and you've got a a schedule to keep, so. All right. In other news. Um U.S. and North Korea are apparently saber-rattling, if you can say that. Um, China apparently warned that no winners if war against the North Korea happens. Um, but that's because Trump, a couple of weeks ago, made a stupid comment of, you know Trump, you know the guy there, uh, <laughs> stupid comment of saying, either China takes care of the uh, North Korea or we will. Dumb thing to say. Now, if you don't know... And they no took him seriously, wasn't it? Of course, <laughs> of course. If you don't know oh. anything about North Korea, you need to know one thing. For essentially pretty much decades now, they've been telling their population that war against the U.S. and the U.S. dropping bomb and attacking us is inevitable. So these people have been preparing for this forever. You know, they, It's not that they're necessarily thinking of attacking the U.S. The propaganda from the government is the U.S. will attack us eventually. So, of course, this probably they just went DEFCON 4 or whatever you want to call it. Well, North Korea... Okay, has anybody ever looked at the world maps, the... Uh, the the lights yes. at night? Yes. Okay, there's South Korea is lit up like a Christmas tree. China all around. North Korea is lit up like a Christmas tree. Japan over across the uh, the water there is lit up like a Christmas tree. And North Korea is a dark place. It's a dark and that's boring. because they don't have electricity. They don't have food. Their people are starving to death. So they can prepare for war any way they want, but we already learned our lesson with Iraq back in 91. 
they were prepared for war too. They had 700 tanks. They had uh, 400,000 troops, mm -hmm. all of whom gave up as quickly as they could because they knew they would be fed as prisoners of war where they weren't getting fed as well, that's all combatants. Good. That's pretty optimistic, Scott. I'm not sure I'm going to agree with you because North Korea is almost a religious state. They're fanatical about their leader. They weren't that fanatical about Saddam Hussein. Well, that's, that's because if you don't agree that he got 18 holes in one on his first game of golf, <laughs> they, they, they put you out of your misery without anyone knowing where you went. That's right. Selective breeding. <laughs> well, it looks like an even match. They've got an unstable madman ahead of North Korea, and then in the U.S. <laughs> an idiot. Um, Trump's an American hero, guys. Come on. Oh, jeez. Yeah. All right, that was the last time that Chris is going to come on them. <laughs> An American hero. Hey, what's this about free thinking? Come on. <laughs> okay, on something... Well, no, we'll think what we tell you to think. <laughs> <laughs> on a bit more, something a bit more positive, um, apparently they found one of the oldest human settlements discovered off the coast of BC. They, they, they're actually dating this settlement as 14,000 years old. It's actually older than the pyramids. And it's 500 kilometers northwest of Victoria. And the discovery apparently matches oral tradition of the Hillsook Nation. Did they find a Tim Hortons uh, cup? Yes. Did they roll up the rim there? That's exactly so what happened. So you know it's Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I think so they knew. <laughs> There's no doubt it was Canadian. But it wasn't the Norse coming over. Back then know. the donuts were like salmon flavored <laughs> and stuff like that, right? And walrus fat and stuff like that. <laughs> All right. That sounds delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Nancy, my dear, are you ready for another This Day in History? Oh, sure. Why sure, not? let's do that. <laughs> let's, let's go back to... Let's do, let's do This Day in History. Normal All right, here we go. Which, as we know, is a roundup of those events and people who altered and illuminated the days between April the 10th and April the 16th. Uh, starting with April the 11th, it was Siblings Day in the U.S., and that's where, you know... Um, give a good word for your brother or your sister. You may not get along 364 days a year, but Siblings Day is the day they're okay. On April the 11th, in 1972, this is one of my cute little favorite stories. In 1972, a smoking deterrent, which was a pseudo-cigarette package that produced simulated coughing sounds when the package was picked up. <coughs> <laughs> It was actually issued a U.S. patent to its inventor, Louis R. Topple, or Tuppel, of Chicago, Illinois, and according to the, pa the patent abstract, the simulated coughing noises are produced from a battery-driven disc recording played through a miniature loudspeaker in the package. The patent described the production of the sound using a, miniature, a miniaturized record player. The invention was oh, also awesome. suggested for use as an advertising novelty. <laughs> but that was supposed to deter you. Pick this. <laughs> Smoking's good. <coughs> and, and as we can see that we were just overrun with them today, it was a huge success. <laughs> so, so Hallmark cards weren't the first one to use the <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, this was a... Exactly, the Hallmark card with the, what do you call those things that uh, they, the little they music, play music? Yeah, musical. the little music thing. It's got a yeah, little battery exactly. in it, and yeah. you open it up, and it plays music. Yeah, yeah, but that was a miniature record player. Yeah. How awesome would that, that was, be? It was the technology yeah, they had of the day. Teeny, tiny, little, itsy, bitsy little, thing. tiny record, you know. Yeah. April the 13th, it was New Year's Day in Cambodia, and the beginning of National Tattoo Week. 
interesting that National Tattoo Week started on the 13th. You'd think it would start on a Monday or Tuesday, but it starts on a, what was the 13th, on a Wednesday? Uh, to, it went from Wednesday to Wednesday, the 13th to the 18th. I've lost track of them. Let me, let me check. No, the 13th of this month? Yeah, the 13th of, of April. Yeah, that was the, a Thursday. That was Wednesday because the 11th was... No, was Thursday. Tuesday. It was a Thursday this year. The Thursday. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's right. It was it was a Thursday. It was odd that it starts on a, on a Thursday. But anyway, everybody who has a tattoo or is thinking of getting one, this is your week. In 1970... Um, on the 13th, an explosion during an Apollo 13 missile mission led to one of the most spectacular rescue missions in the U.S. space history. Uh, we all remember that. It was brought back safely with Commander Jim Lovell. Oh, thank goodness they saved Tom Hanks. Pardon? <laughs> thank goodness they saved Tom Hanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't watch a movie without him. You know, have you ever noticed something on a side note? I would never travel with Tom Hanks. Why? Every movie he does, it's a traveling misadventure. Oh, yeah, you know, the airplane, Apollo 13. Thing where he uh, Cap- down yeah, there. Captain uh, Phillips on the boat, uh, the yeah. castaway, and the I other one. I want to stay away from him. I know. Don't travel with Tom Hanks. That's a okay. free tip from Let the Valley. Okay, Sit. so now, now tell me what the what the famous four, one, two, three. Tell me what the famous five words are that came from that almost disaster. I can, I can play that. You can play. <laughs> oh, well, go ahead. <laughs> Hold on, I just got to find. I just got to find. Where is it? Where is it? And Jim Lovell said... Oh, I can't play it. It's, I can't play it. Houston, we have a problem. Houston, Houston we, have we have a problem. problem. And I think, you know, people still use that today. It really... Anytime there's a problem. Yeah, Houston, like, we have a problem. <laughs> Happens a lot on this show. April 14th, New Year's in South and Southeastern Asian cultures. Um, and on the 14th, it really was a jam-packed day of everything imaginable and unimaginable. So most notable on the 14th um, in 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was shot by John Wilkes Booth at Ford Theater. In 1912, the passenger liner Titanic hit the iceberg in the North Atlantic and sunk on the morning of the 15th. But the story that eclipsed everything else, because I just love this little story, was the four dead in five seconds event that Mm. took place in El Paso, naturally, Texas, and included heavily armed vaqueros from Mexico, cattle rustling, a posse, a bar fight, and the Texas Rangers as witnesses. So good. what could be And this was just a Saturday night. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, And as a bonus... The marshal who did the shooting, which was four dead in five seconds, had one of the best Western names ever, Dallas Studemeyer. That is a good name. I know, and you had to get that Studemeyer on the badge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a big badge. That, yeah, you had to have a... a, a, a I'm noticing a theme with this day. Yeah. We've got really two insanely long movies out of it. Apollo 13 <laughs> and Titanic. <laughs> yes. April 15th. Uh, is World Art Day, Holocaust Remembrance Day, Tax Day, Lincoln Death Day, and in 1931, the first walk across America backwards began. This was a lovely Texas gentleman named It's always a Texan. Always in Texas. Plenty Lawrence Wingo. And Mr. Wingo walked backwards from Santa Monica, California to Istanbul, Turkey. He did have to take the boat to Istanbul, but he walked backwards on the boat. <laughs> so, so it's okay. It's all documented. He did this 
um, from April 15th to October 24th. He was 36 years old, and he documented the voyage in the book called Around the World Backwards. So he started from Fort Worth. He wore out four pairs of shoes, wore periscopic eyeglasses that were fastened over his ears like regular spectacles, and he traveled from New York to Europe by ship, and he depended entirely on the sale of postcards for his expenses. When he got back, his wife divorced him. (laughs) 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 Hard, hard to believe. But he is in the Wax Museum of Ripley's greatest, um, Ripley's, Ripley's, Believe it or not. Believe it or not, right. As um, the greatest exponent of reverse pedestrianism. Little did you know that there was reverse a reverse pedestrianism. pedestrianism right? That's going wow. to things backwards. Yeah, exactly. So tomorrow is Easter, and there are so many meetings uh, uh, that occur right at the same time. Everything that goes from Ishtar to the resurrection to Easter bunnies and chocolate and dyed eggs and Passover. So where do you guys fit in? We'll find out. We just, we're just here for the chocolate. Right? The chocolate <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. To me. I like the eggs. Um, the last we'll do a little little homage here to Canada in 1982. Canada adopted the Constitution. By 1967, Canada didn't have the power to amend its own constitution, mm. which could only be done by British Parliament. So the new constitution, accompanied by the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and an amending formula that would no longer require an appeal to the British Parliament was adopted on this day in 1967. So that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Thank you, Nancy. What an interesting little bit of, uh, you know, when you think of Canada, we're, we've been here for forever, it seems, but no, it's such a young country. And the Constitution even younger, in a way. Yeah. So, that becomes very interesting. I know. We, we always learn from history. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, before we go to commercial break and then we bring our friend Tyler and uh, we let Chris and Tyler and Zach go at it, let's do... Oops. Works better if I do it. All right. We've got a couple of stories for you guys. Let me know what you think of them. First one is a Canadian story. In Newfoundland, Jessica Andrew was scanning through a dozen of photos she took of a polar bear roaming around her backyard when she came across one that stopped her in her tracks. Now bear with me, guys. Ah! (laughs) The large animal was squatting beneath a white cross, its paws together and raised skyward as it looked up in a seemingly reverent pose. I (laughs) didn't notice it when I was taking them, but when I started to go through the edit the, the pictures, she said, oh my god, I was like, holy crap, he's praying. The 22-year-old said from her home in Wesleyville, a shoreline community in Newfoundland. I was, am- I was amazed. I mean, beyond amazed. The slightly grainy photo shows the bear sitting on its haunches. Is that how you say that? Haunches? Yeah, yeah. haunches. On a barren, snow-covered patch of rock as it looks like it, it looks up to the top of the white cross. Andrew says she heard that a polar bear uh, on the small island behind her house soon after she arrived uh, from her work from about 5.30 on Wednesday. She grabbed her camera, spotted the bear wandering around, and took a whole bunch of pictures. Um, what do you guys think about this? I mean, a crazy Canadian Christian bear is worse than a regular kind, right? I mean, he's going to pray before he eats you. Is that an earth sign of the time? 
know, Chris, you wait. Chris, you're the, you're yeah. the, you're the, Chris and Zach, you're the, the Christian guest. You yeah. tell me. Have you guys taken over polar bears? I am not aware of any missions oriented <laughs> or outreaches <laughs> towards polar bears. Uh, well done. <laughs> to me, it sounds like kind of a grisly undertaking. Oh! oh! This guy, he fits, he fits right in the show. He fits right in the show. As far as, sorry, I got one more, but as far as I knew, the only Christian animals were dogs because, you know, St. Bernard's. But. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, good one. Oh, I know who's going to be the guest host next week. <laughs> hey, are you firing me? What are you, doing? What are you saying here? So oh, he is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Apparently next week we have a new host. <laughs> sure, the irony's not lost in anybody. <laughs> Just a tad. Yeah. So obviously, you know, this is obviously a question of you know, you see what you want to see. And all this, obviously, this this is a big cross. I saw the picture. It's, it's a bear basically climbing up on the cross, trying to look up, see if there's anything interesting up there. But this gal thinks, obviously, that this bear was praying. Uh, another story. Uh, apparently, a quarter of people who describe themselves as Christians in Great Britain do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is very timely with the show today. This is a survey commissioned by the BBC. However, almost one in ten people of no religion say they do believe the Easter story but has some content that should not be taken literally. The research was commissioned by the BBC local radio for Palm Sunday. It suggests that 17% of all people believe the Bible version word for word. 31% of Christians believe word for word the Bible version rising to 75, uh, sorry, to 57% among active Christians, those who go to religious service at least once a month. Those are called the active ones. Uh, exactly half of all people surveyed did not believe in the resurrection at all. That's a big half of them. And 46% of people say they believe in some form of life after death, and 46% do not. 20% of non religious people say they believe in some form of life after death, of the non religious ones. Um, Does it say there how this compares to past polls or past surveys? Are things going up, down, the same over? period of years or did they just take this one survey and there's nothing to compare it to? Um, well this is from Professor Linda Woodhead of the Department of Politics, Philosophy and Religion at uh, Lancaster University uh, basically says that this polling confirmed that Britain is now split down the middle between those who call themselves Christian and those who say no religion but it's not a simple division whether relig between religion and secular. It seems that Britain is moving more and more towards a less religious path. Yeah. Um, uh, some more numbers, almost two in five Christians surveyed say they never attend religious services, that's 37%, and just one-fifth say they attend every week, that's 20%. Any thoughts on this? No, I think that survey pretty well mirrors surveys that they've taken in other countries where people are becoming more more secular yeah, exactly. than they were 10 or 15 years ago. I think almost all, regardless of the country, there may be some countries that are are still the same. Maybe some of the South American countries are, are still yes. the and same. Yes, and Christianity is making yeah. a lot of uh, dents in China and Africa as well. But I think in Europe and in North America, they, it seems to be yes. declining. I think as a whole, uh, Christianity is on the yeah. decline. How about your Christians, friends? What do you guys think? I'd be interested to know how many people actually claim to be Christian simply by 
the fact that their parents were or by an actual choice they made. And if that number's gone down, because I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, like culturally Christian. You know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think cultural Christians have declined, and I think that's... That I think that should happen, actually. Um, I think if Christians are going to be Christians, it should be by a choice that they're making, not by a cultural norm. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's not even surprising to me necessarily that there are people that do claim to be Christians, though, that, for example, don't say they believe in the resurrection. If you look at, like, old uh, German theologians like Rudolf Boltmann, he, was, he claimed to be a Christian, but he said that he did not believe in a literal resurrection. He taught that it only mattered that Jesus rose spiritually, like in the sense of in people's belief in the disciples' heart, stuff like that. So it's actually a very early form of liberal theology, or at least 1800s early, that goes back quite a ways and not a literal understanding of the resurrection. Hmm. Well, interesting. interesting. So do you, being a non-Christian, um, there are a lot of things I'm not aware of. In order to be considered a, a Christian, you you must believe in the resurrection? Is that one of the tenets that separates you from being an actual question. Christian to one who just goes to church because you're Can a Can you be a Christian, Christian without believing in the resurrection? Pardon? Can you be a Christian without believing in the resurrection? Yeah. So I think one of our earliest uh, documents in the Bible, uh, the book of Romans, Paul says really clearly in Romans 10, 9, uh, anybody who basically believes in God and that G he raised Jesus from the dead will be saved. So okay. I don't think you can honestly claim to be a Christian and deny the resurrection as a real event because it is the keystone of our faith. So, so beyond the teaching of Jesus, this, the act of resurrection is really what is at the basis of Christianity. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for that, guys. So we're just going to pause right now. And when we come back, back after commercial, we'll bring in Tyler and we'll... Let's break. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble, right? <laughs> Stay with us. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. Great comfort, his big stumper was literally which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of the interviews took place in front of a building that said liberal arts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that they're not all science majors. Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, 
ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. All my friends are eating steak, it's slow. Wait for them to ask you who you know. Please don't make any sudden moves. You don't know the half of the abuse. All my friends are eating steak, it's slow. And we're back. See, that, that was written by Chris. All his friends are heathens. Take it slow. <laughs> and joining us is our old friend Tyler. Hey, Tyler, how you doing, buddy? Uh, not too bad. I'd be there, but I'm sick as a dog. Oh, well, that's a good thing. It means I also don't have to go get you. Yeah, I don't want <laughs> to spread it around. So. Yeah. I don't think we can fit any more people in this apartment today. <laughs> oh, I yeah, hope you feel better soon, Tyler. Oh, perfect. All right, so today we're going to be discussing about the... Um, resurrection of jesus and uh chris uh, this is your second debate with us and uh you and tyler have been uh, circling the drain forever now <laughs> throwing little punches at each other and all that is the, uh, did you uh, complete your insurance forms and everything <laughs> yeah uh, and i left a note so if nobody hears from me after a day it's <laughs> 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 one of the reasons we kept Tyler also over there in Chilliwack, so he doesn't have to be here and personally strangle you if he needs to, and vice versa. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, gentlemen, I'm going to leave this over to you. I want a nice, uh, I'm not go we're not going to do this super formally, but I think a, a quick introduction would be uh, of either one would be great and say where, where, you, where you stand on the issue, and we'll just have a nice conversation and us uh, the regular part of the crew are just gonna intervene once in a while with a question if we need to guys and let's keep this civil so chris as our guest here why don't you go ahead and f start first sure so yeah my name's chris i uh am a second year uh, master's degree student uh in apologetics <laughs> and the resurrection of jesus from the dead jesus's historicity all of these are some of my main focuses. I'm probably going to be writing my thesis based on this idea. So that's my background. Uh, Zach, do you want to introduce Sure. Um, I'm a, a Christian, and I've been uh, hearing most of the things that Chris has been learning at school. Um, we chat about those things. I also have been attending the skeptics group, and that's uh, been a great point for me to kind of get more interested in this topic. Excellent. And Tyler, while the people know you, but for people that might not know you, go right ahead. Introduce yourself as well. Uh, I'm not really sure what to say. Don't! Uh, used to be a part of Left of the Valley and kind of got too busy for a lot of the stuff. And the, the skeptic, I guess, who uh, needs demonstrable evidence for pretty much everything, I believe whether you call that empiricism or whatever it is. So okay. it's like discussing different subjects and finding out why people believe what they believe. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! All right, so uh, Chris, uh, let's let's ask you first. Uh, why do you 
feel that the resurrection of Jeebus, uh, sorry, Jesus actually did happen? So for me, uh, there, first of all, it is really important that the resurrection happened. As I said earlier, it's like the bedrock of my faith. And it's been a question that other people that have questioned their faith have asked and looked into. And for at least two people, Gary Habermas and Michael Lacona, it was became their doctoral research. And it was enough to convince them that what they believed was true. It also became the um, evidence that convinced skeptics like Sean and Josh McDowell, uh, J. Warner Wallace, a homicide detective, and Lee Strobel. So it got me curious because I was like, okay, there must be something that convinced these guys. What that evidence was, was that there was five to six non-supernatural facts that are recorded about Jesus' life, like his crucifixion, his burial, his empty tomb, belief of the disciples that Jesus appeared to them after uh, his death, and that skeptics like uh, the church persecutor Paul and uh, Jesus' brother James were also converted by belief in the appearances. And when you put all six of those together, it forms a pretty convincing case for the resurrection. Okay, good. And Tyler, you don't agree with that position, obviously. Well, no. I mean, this this is supposed to be the most important event in all of human history, really, and our salvation and all that is supposed to depend on it. But what evidence was really left behind? I mean, I think that God could have left a lot better evidence behind, and I don't think that it passes the historical method. I mean, if you have a case of the Romans claiming that a hundred of them defeated a thousand of their, you know, enemies or something like that in a couple hours, that that's kind of an extraordinary claim. I mean, it's not supernatural, but in order to confirm that, if you had stories written by the people who were defeated, then it would be a little bit more solid, you know what I mean? Because you don't have just the Romans' case of it. And that's pretty much what historians look for, is they look for as close to contemporary sources as possible, uh, preferably eyewitnesses as well, and not just one side of it, like just one source, like the Christian source. But that's all we've got. I mean, the Gospels are anonymous, and we can argue whether they're eyewitnesses or not. I mean, it's kind of irrelevant either way. But Paul says he's not an eyewitness either, and all we have are Christian sources. I mean, for me to believe something like that, there would have to be multiple sources very close to the event from Christian sources as well as non-Christian sources. And we just don't have that. I mean, this is the most important thing that's ever happened. And the oldest mention that we have of the resurrection is at earliest the year 175, which is Papyrus 75. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I would want to leave a lot of evidence behind for, you know, future skeptics, that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, Chris, would you, would, you, would you reply to that? You know, the, he, he does make a point that, you know, you have the uh, Christian source. Are you aware of any source that are non-Christian that could corroborate the story? Well, I'd like to make the point that the Bible itself, you know, we all know it didn't actually exist till about 300 A.D. Say what? Mm. So the Gospels themselves are all four different sources. And, for example, with the crucifixion, it's reported in all four. And that's an event that 
although they weren't completely contemporary, it was thought important enough to be mentioned by Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian, Marabar Serapion. So those weren't Christian sources. They were Jewish. They were Roman. Now, I know there's some debate about whether there's interpolation or whatnot, but I don't think it's been proven conclusively that they were Christian interpolations either. Um, also, um, I put in a couple of quotes from scholars that are not Christian. Uh, there was Paula Fredrickson. She's an American uh, historian and somebody that looks into ancient history. And she said, the single most solid fact about Jesus's life is his death. He was executed by the Roman prefect Pilate on or around Passover in the manner Rome reserved particularly for political insurrectionists, namely crucifixion. John Dominic Crossan, the co-chair of the Jesus Seminar, also no friends of evangelical Christianity, says there is not the slightest doubt about the fact of Jesus' crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Another time he even said that he was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. So for an atheist to say that, who I'm guessing requires quite a bit of evidence, I'd say at least it sounds like the fact that he was crucified is do, fairly do, solid. Do you know of this evidence he speaks of? Um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, go, well, go for it, Doug. I, I'm, familiar with, I'm familiar with all of that. And, and Barterman would say the same thing with, regarding him being crucified. Now, I, I don't accept that personally, but for this argument, I will grant that to you because we are debating the resurrection and... If we want to get into crucifixion, and it'll just lead down the whole mythicist thing, and that's not what we're trying to debate here. So I'm going to grant you quite a bit of things that I don't actually personally believe, just so we can kind of stay on track. Take that to the bank for the still five bucks. <laughs> All right, Pardon go for me. it, Tyler. I didn't hear you. Go for it. So. Oh, I just did. Did you? Oh, sorry. You might you might have to repeat that. I, I just made a joke and it overlapped over top of you. So. Oh, uh, I was saying I was saying I don't want to go down the mythicist road. So I'm going to grant you a bunch of stuff that I don't actually personally believe. So and I'll agree with Cross and and Barterm in that he was crucified, even though I don't personally believe that. But I want to stay on the resurrection. My my point was this is a supernatural claim, and the evidence is absolutely terrible i mean all we've got is really really late manuscripts i mean the oldest manuscript we have that has actually been published is from at earliest 125 a.d or ce whatever you want to call it the oldest one from paul is late second century and the oldest mention of the resurrection is at earliest 175 i mean if it is true I don't think God would blame us for not believing it because the evidence is so terrible. Like, I mean, Jesus could have invented the printing press and we'd have a whole bunch of copies right now, wouldn't we? Yes, that is a bit of a point. So well, I stole that point from Richard Carrier, the printing press joke. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, Richard Carrier. Um, okay, I'll st I would like to take a shot at the manuscript evidence thing. So we have over 50... For 5,800 Greek manuscripts for the New Testament, the next best example of something like that is the Iliad by Homer, which was, we currently have about 1,800 discovered manuscripts. Also, the manuscripts are much closer to the time than they were written. The earliest papyrus, like you said, that mentions the resurrection is 175 BC. This is only 140 years after the time of Jesus' crucifixion. The time difference... The time difference between the original copy of the Iliad and that first discovered cop and the first discovered copy is over 350 to 400 years. So, so you're making the point that 
it being such a popular story, there must have been something behind it. There, yeah, I'd say there's something. It was important enough that people were copying it down, and apparently quite extensively. Okay, Tyler, where do this comes This comes from God. I mean, God could leave supernatural evidence behind. Jesus could have appeared and spoken to Herod and Pontius Pilate and converted all of them. I mean, it would have been so easy to leave, you know, non-Christian sources behind or famous sources like the ones that I mentioned, but we have none of that. I mean, we don't even have the original copies of anything. We have copies of copies of copies of copies, and there was a whole bunch of Gospels that were left out as well. People just kind of picked and chose what it was. So, I mean, it's kind of the same thing with Joseph Smith and Muhammad and all the other religions that kind of picked up. I don't think the fact that people believed it is evidence that it's true. I mean, that's an argument from popularity, right? We have all these copies. Well, so what? I mean, that, that is the reason that we atheists don't believe it, is because the only evidence we have doesn't pass the historical method. Well, hold on we a sec. Hold, hold on a sec. We're, t- we're talking about historical evidence here. We're talking about historical accuracy, and we're pointing out that the manuscript count for the New Testament is more than double, if not more than triple, of what the next best manuscript count is of anything in that time period. We're talking about having more historical evidence of this than anything in its time period. So if you're going to be talking about not enough information from God or not enough information to have a historical account of something, those are two different things. And at the moment we're talking about the fact that the the resurrection account actually has the most historical evidence for it if if that's not enough for you that that's another topic altogether but it, it's not though because the historical method like i said likes to have stories or accounts really close to the event not just by sources right and and eyewitnesses paul says he's not an eyewitness the gospels are completely anonymous nobody mentions any of this during that time philo was writing during, during that time as well and there's absolutely no mention there either. I just think that God could have left a lot better evidence behind. I mean, the resurrection is not exactly a unique thing. There's tons of stories from gods and whatnot prior to to Jesus Christ that are, you know, victory over death and that sort of thing. I mean, being baptized in the Osiris cult gave you a better position in the afterlife. Same with Dionysus. I mean, Romulus, the founder of Rome, was born of a virgin and executed by the nobles of the city and his body disappeared and then he appeared to people on the road and then he ascended into heaven. I mean, there's Dionysus is the same, Zelmoxen, same thing. There's all these different stories that are before Christianity, so it really doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, even Dionysus was arrested for claiming to be divine by the king Pentheus before he was executed by the titans and then came back from the dead okay Uh, you know what for the sake of argument i'll even grant the manuscript evidence itself i wouldn't even say is what i would base my case for the resurrection on i would base it simply on it's enough i'd say that we can say with confidence the natural things at least recorded about jesus's life happened it's as good as for the natural events that anybody else has happened manuscript wise and I think even Richard Carrier agrees, like we shouldn't expect like the same sort of 
you know, like monuments, coinage, everything as we would see for other famous histories because this guy was basically a backwater Jew from nowhere, Palestine, in the middle of the first century. All I'm saying is the manuscripts are good enough for the natural stuff. The point I'm saying is the non-supernatural facts are what I would say make the best case for the resurrection. So all I'm trying to argue here is that the sources are good enough that we can tell things like Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, all of that. That's usually where I find that in these debates, Christians and atheists talk past each other. Christians aren't saying accept the resurrection based on how many manuscripts we have, how many, um, how old the sources are. We're saying that there's facts about Jesus's life that point to it, the resurrection. Well, and and I, I agree regarding when certain people, mythicists, try to compare Jesus to Julius Caesar or something like that. I mean, Richard Carrier points out a lot of the bogus arguments that are there, and, and that's kind of the debate between Richard Carrier and Bart Ehrman, is what you're saying, is that Bart Ehrman says, you know, the evidence is pretty solid that Jesus is at least loosely based on a real person. Richard Carrier obviously disagrees, but what Bart Ehrman and Richard Carrier agree on is that the resurrection is not supported well by history. Okay. And Barterman's point was exactly what I said regarding no eyewitnesses. We got Paul writing, you know, 20 years after the fact. And, th- like, this is a supernatural claim, like I said. Why not have some supernatural evidence? Why not have Jesus appear to Pontius Pilate and Herod and all these other people? It would be a lot more convincing because you would have all these stories from these people we got nothing from Pontius Pilate whatsoever. He condemned this guy to death, and then he's sealed in a tomb, and then he comes out three days later, and not a word from anybody. I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want to have them answered immediately. I mean, they tried to forge the whole uh, acts of Pilate like 500 years later, because obviously people were kind of complaining about that and using that as some doubt. But I'm, I'm not saying it did or didn't happen, really. I'm saying that God should have known that these are some of the reasons we wouldn't believe. I mean, like I said, the oldest mention of the resurrection is 140 years after Jesus died. I mean, he could have waited until the 20th century when we had video cameras. I mean, does that make sense? What I'm hearing from you a lot of is that you're not happy that we don't have more evidence. But the evidence that we have is enough for the natural events and that's something that to start as a starting point if we have enough evidence for the natural events if you can come up with a position that actually uh, accounts for all that information other than the resurrection we have something to talk about because that is evidence for the supernatural if all of the natural events happened as we have evidence for well hold on Zach. are you you saying are you saying that because you think that most of the events in jesus would be uh, there would be enough evidence to claim that these things actually happen, that therefore we should just take to face value the resurrection as well? No. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a quote here from a, sure. um, the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, the 2016, 2016 edition. Um, by It's an article from a guy named Thomas Kelly, but um, it's on their website there. And it's, given that no true proposition is inconsistent with any fact, one has an immediate rationale for not believing any proposition that is inconsistent with one's evidence. For only propositions that are consistent with one's evidence are even candidates for being true. So if the natural evidence lines up and there are no other possibilities of filling all of the natural 
evidence with if there's no other theory that actually inc incorporates all the natural evidence then the resurrection is the only candidate for actually being true so, so i don't know therefore yeah no well hold, hold on so, so, so you're saying no other um hypothesis could fill the evidence that we have so so let, let's go through the evidence real quickly here what are we talking about evidence act uh, about the resurrection so it's a, those six things I mentioned. One, Jesus died. Okay. He was buried. Yes. That tomb was found empty. Yes. The disciples at least believed that he appeared to them. Okay. A skeptic named Paul was converted. Yes. And a skeptic named James was converted. Okay. So by I, appearances. So if let's say for example the body was stolen. The body was stolen. Okay. So this this would this would feel that he died. Yep. He's buried. The tomb is empty. And then it, it just it essentially leaves that the uh, the uh, this is, it's conspiracy theory, of course. But let's say, for example, you don't want to let, let know that your master's body was stolen, therefore you make up the story. Could this not fill in this gap in there? Okay. Yeah, I actually have this written down. So. Okay, sure. So there's a few problems with it. The disciples sincerely believed in the resurrection. So much so that they were willing to suffer and die for what they believe. And I know what's coming after this, but <laughs> <laughs> Luke records their, pre, their persecution in Acts 7 and 12. Clement of Rome, a contemporary of the apostles, reports the suffering and deaths of Peter and Paul. Ignatius, who also likely do the apostles, reports that the apostles were so encouraged by the resurrection appearances of Jesus, where they were able to see, touch, and talk to him, that they were not afraid of suffering and martyrdom. Polycarp was instructed and appointed by the apostles and attests that Paul and all the apostles suffered, which is in his epistles to the Philippians, uh, chapter 9, verse 2. Dionysus of Chir Corinth talked about it and quoted, is quoted by Eusebius in EH 2.25.8. Tertullian talked about it in Scopius 15, and Origen talked about it in Contra Celsum 2.56.77. Also, the problem with this is it does not explain Paul's conversion since the appearance to him in the desert still has to be accounted for. Upon hearing about the empty tomb, he likely would have just concluded fraud. Also, you have James, the brother of Jesus, who was an opponent of Jesus. He thought he was nuts during his life, who also likely would have concluded fraud. He was a skeptic who thought Jesus was out of his mind, but all of a sudden he's converted by post-resurrection appearances, at least according to the earliest creed that we have from Christianity. Or from, uh, yeah, from the early church. Okay, so so because because we don't find a body essentially, and there are some people claiming that they feel that Jesus is has resurrected. This is essentially enough to case close for you guys. Well, you you were just that was just a, um, a response to the idea that somebody stole the body. Yeah, okay, who would yeah. be the most likely to steal the body? Well, it would be the disciples because they were the ones who believed in it beforehand. Except for the fact that if they were the ones who started the whole conspiracy. Why would they be willing to die for it? Why would they be willing to suffer for it? Why would all of these radical things that they did be done if not for something they actually believed? What appearance to Paul were you talking about? First Corinthians 15 mentions it. Uh, it says that, uh, lastly, Christ appeared to me also. And that's actually... Well, that. well, well hold on a second. We, we, when we, we did the, the, the show with David Fitzgerald. He, he no, was that's the Damascus Road one that you're, ta you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, the Damascus experience. This is not what you're talking about here. No, it is. Yeah, no. The Damascus Road. Well, the, the, Dema the road to Damascus, the experience of Paul, is not actually recorded by himself. It's actually in the it's Acts. It's in the book of Acts. He didn't write about it himself. So what does he, uh, this other guy say? It's uh, kind of amazing that the guy would have such an experience and not even talk about it. 
Yeah, on the side of the road to Damascus is, is just the Book of Acts. What they're talking about, I can't tell the difference in voices between Zach and Chris, is, <laughs> you know, the, Paul talks about different revelations all the t- time. Paul says that he knows about Jesus from Scripture. He says that all the time, according to Scripture, according to Scripture, and his own, you know, personal revelations. So, I mean, you, you said that there's no other explanation, but we were just talking about John, Dominic Cross, and Bart Ehrman, and Richard Carrier, who are all historians. I mean, Bart Ehrman was a fundamentalist Christian most of his life, reads Greek, all that kind of thing, went to Bible and Moody College in Prince, and he lost his faith, and he has changed his mind. So I think that there are definitely some other possible explanations, clearly, whether it be that Jesus never existed or whether it be, you know, I mean, what what does Paul say about the empty tomb? Um, he says in that creed I was talking about from 1 Corinthians 15, he says that uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Yeah, according to the scriptures, which is the whole, you know, Richard Carrier thing, that it was, you know, prophesied in the Old Testament, and that they took a bunch of, you know, scriptures from the Old Testament and kind of fashioned a new Jesus. My question was, what does he say about the empty tomb? So he doesn't mention the empty tomb, but if he said Jesus was buried and then he was raised, no Jew at that time would have understood it as anything other than a body coming out of the, t- the tomb. He pretty much parallels the two. He says he was d- buried, he was raised. That's the way the parallelism in that passage worked. Nobody at that time. Okay, when are you putting Paul being written and when are you putting Mark being written? I'm putting First Corinthians at... Uh, 51 to 52 AD, or sorry, 55 to 57 AD. I'm putting the okay. creed that Paul is citing way earlier. It goes back to probably, I would say, three to five years after uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. That's oh, yeah, I mean. his conversion. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that too. But you're saying that Paul said in the mid 50s this whole burial thing. And when do you have Mark being written? Um, so I realize. I know you're a lot earlier than normal. <laughs> I, I do like to be admirable. Thanks yes. for pointing that out. <laughs> no, no. Tyler's not mentioning that Chris is premature in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> As one abnormally born. <laughs> His girlfriend will testify he's quite normal, and he has no problem okay. in that department. Thank you. So do you have Mark written around 64? Is that correct? I'm aware that the most scholars seem to pay, place it around 70, although it is worth yeah. mentioning that there's actually some skeptics now that are placing it around 42. I don't really yeah, think they well, you, universities skeptics. are still What's that? teaching 70, but I, universities are still teaching roughly around 70, the majority of them. But I was asking you, because when you were debating Gemma Page, I think you said you were putting the Gospel of Mark around the early 60s. Yeah, so I'd probably still hold to that. Um, but okay, that, that's, what, that's what I'm asking, is you said that Paul would have worded that way because nobody would have understood, but then Mark talks about the tomb like... 10 less than 10 years later so i don't think that makes sense sorry i might have misspoke what i mean is that like to a jew saying that jesus was raised would be understood in that context especially since he pointed out that he was buried it would be understood as a physical resurrection because that's the only way that they would have understood resurrection at that point so he wouldn't have needed well, to say the empty tomb the, specifically I was about the empty tomb though it was the tomb that i was asking about because back in those days the Romans would crucify you and leave you there to be eaten by animals, or they would just throw you into 
a common grave. He doesn't mention anything about this special tomb from Joseph of Arimathea, and my understanding is that there is absolutely no place named Arimathea whatsoever. A lot of people say that Joseph of Arimathea is a completely fictional character. Okay, I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. I think I can. I think I know what you're saying now. So I think Paul not mentioning the tomb might be good evidence that there was no tomb to begin with. Okay. I mean, he's the earliest one, right? Right. So first, did he mention Pontius Pilate executing Jesus? Sorry, what? Does Paul mention Pontius Pilate executing, having Jesus ordered to be executed? Okay, I'll. Can I answer this one at a time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um. So, Jesus' burial. I'll make, try to make a quick case for that. Okay. Still attested pretty early to the point. Even if it's Mark was written 70, 60 AD, that's still within 40 years of Jesus' crucifixion, right? So, it's still pretty right. early. It's talked about in all four Gospels, and one of the big things even the Jesus Seminar talks about is for something to be really strong as, a, as something that actually happened to Jesus, it has to be multiply attested. So it fits that criteria. Also, fit, okay. It also fits what they call the criterion of embarrassment. It's not something that the early church would have been likely to make up for no reason in a legend. And the reason this fits in is that Joseph of Arimathea was part of the Sanhedrin in the story, and mm-hmm. the, the early church had a lot of resentment against the Sanhedrin because they saw them as, you know, orchestrating basically a murder of Jesus, right? It's unlikely they would have just invented a sympathetic character from that group who showed courage in taking Jesus' body and burying it while talking about how the disciples abandoned him in the same story. So that would be my case, at least for the historicity of the burial. Now, as for what you pointed out about, okay, was it left put in a common grave or left to be eaten by animals or even buried somewhere else? The idea that he was left to be eaten by animals would ignore the evidence I think I already pointed out, unless there's an argument against that. Also, though the creed does not say it was by Joseph of Arimathea that Jesus was buried, it's merely a summary. Mark does mention it in his gospel, and it was based on early information that was circulated close to the events. So Jesus had, if Jesus had not been buried by Joseph of Arimathea, it would have been easy to do a quick fact check at the time. Okay, because, I mean, there are other stories. I don't know if it's even relevant to it. So maybe first I'll ask if Paul mentions Jesus' execution being ordered by Pontius Pilate. No, he does not. Okay, so that's kind of strange, don't you think? That it is a Paul, big detail. The oldest, the, the oldest one, it doesn't mention Pontius Pilate having Jesus ordered to be executed and doesn't mention the empty tomb. I mean... That's kind of a concern. I mean, you'd think he'd know about it. There was, as far as we know, there was nothing else written around that time anyways. You think Paul would, would want to include that because the Gospels didn't exist at that point. It's not like Paul said, well, the Gospels have already documented it, so I don't really need to cover it. Well, see, Maurice Casey, have you ever heard of Maurice Casey? I wouldn't remember even if I did. Okay, fair enough. He is a question uh, maybe for you before I answer that. Uh who was Paul writing to in this creed? Do you remember? In which, what are you talking about? Which one? The one we're talking about right now where it's like, you know, he was di- He died, he was buried, he was raised. Do you know which letter that which, fell into? I don't remember off my hand, no. I have it on my phone, but I'm kind of on my phone at the moment. It's fair. First uh, Corinthians. <clears throat> okay. Um, would they have known who Pontius Pilate was? Uh, know, would they? A Roman prefect? Chances are they would have, no. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a good well, I mean, this, this is this is the guy who's in charge of everything during 
Passover, which is like one of the biggest celebrations for the entire year. People came from all over the place. You'd think that they would know who he was. True, but we're talking not, about... Not to mention that this, well, this Jesus story was supposed to have been circulated for how many years? 20 years before Paul wrote that? And obviously, Paul, Paul had family members who were Christians as well. So, yeah, I think people would have heard that this Jesus guy was ordered to be executed by Pontius Pilate, including the, the Corinthians, for sure. It would be really strange if they didn't know who he was. Well, the, 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 I think, if, okay. I, if I may interject, Chris, yeah, tell, uh, the point is the Corinthians, Paul was uh, preaching to the Gentiles. He wasn't preaching to Jews, so they might not necessarily know who he actually was. Uh, where was Corinthians as, as, as opposing the Roman Empire? Do we know? Uh, Corinthians was in Greece, yeah. In Greece. So they chances are they would know the Roman Emperor. And the Roman, and, well, he's not an emperor, he's a prefect. So it's a good question nonetheless. Okay, I think there's like two possible answers to this. Yeah. So I'll just throw out both and see what you think with this. I think in a sense you might have just answered your own question. So they would have known all of that. They would have known about Pontius Pilate. They probably, if this was circulating for 20 years, they would have known he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. But so, Mark mentions it. They, they all mention it way after Paul. Right. So what Paul's talking about in this verse, though, is he's talking about these group of people that are going around. They are saying that the resurrection of the dead's already happened, that they are uh, they're basically denying that there will be a bodily resurrection. Denied. Paul's using this creed simply to combat a theological point. He's not trying to build a case for an ev event that they already happened. So what this creed is, is it's a summary of the essential things about Jesus' life. The belief that he died, he bar was buried, rose again, all of that. The it's a summary. It's not supposed to be a full treatise on the life of Jesus. It's just meant for the specific point in the letter to combat a particular heresy going on in Corinth at the time. But it's early, so it does tell us at least what was commonly believed about Jesus, like his death, like his burial, like the empty tomb, which is implied by saying he was raised, and the belief that Jesus appeared to many people, also Paul included. Okay. I, I, and this is, this is still a non-eyewitness, right? So, I mean, okay, let, let me just, I'll, you know, I'm going to go with the main my main point here and, and if you want you can go and you can also ask kevin and nancy why they personally don't believe because i want to include them as well but like i said this is the most important event in all of history do you think that there could have been better evidence left behind that god could have left better i mean we wouldn't even be having this debate if god had left really really solid evidence behind i mean he, he could have created a magical book that is completely indestructible and like i said he could have appeared to pontius pilate he could have appeared to king herod and we wouldn't even be there would be no skeptics everybody would just believe it because the evidence would be so good like i said jesus could have invented the printing press and we would have a lot more copies we would have contemporary copies and and yet we have absolutely nothing mentioned by any historians by anybody whatsoever during the time of jesus and that is the kind of evidence that God left behind. If it's true, I don't think God is going to blame me for not believing it because the evidence is lacking. The power of Christ compels you! That's my position. Mm -hmm. That is why I don't believe. The evidence could be so much better instead of 
a manuscript that's 140 years after Jesus died, first mentioning the resurrection. Right, but like I said, the 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 evidence isn't the manuscript. It's those six facts that are mostly agreed upon by scholars. The most contested one is the empty tomb. Wow, they're, they're claims. They're claims on pieces of paper. I mean, we have the same claims about every other religion. We have 10,000 documented religions in history, and 9,999 of them aren't true, but, I mean, and like I said, regarding the other stories, I mean, we have all these other people with very similar stories. I mean, the earth was covered in darkness after Romulus died. He was born of a virgin, executed by the nobility, and then resurrected and descended into heaven. Same with Dionysus, same with Zelmox, and same with Osiris. Like, now, gentlemen, the same I... Thing with Gentlemen, I'd like to interfere here for half a second because, you know, I, li I like to play the devil's advocate. Right. Uh, I'm gonna That's ask, disconcerting. I'm going I'm to ask a question to, uh, to either one of you. Um, Tyler, I'll start with you. Tyler, would you agree that um, or you said the earliest piece of evidence we, we have is 140 years mentioning the resurrection. Could, is it possible that it could be an earlier source we just haven't found it yet? Well, I don't see why God wouldn't have preserved... I mean, God couldn't even preserve his own story. Yeah, this okay. is the most important story in history. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But, uh, Chris, I will ask you the question is, uh, if, if you know, the, the, uh, the suicide of Cleopatra, we know the exact date. The uh, when C Julius Caesar was assassinated, we know the exact date. The exact date. Why don't we know the exact date Jesus was crucified? I gotta be honest. That's one thing I have not looked into very much. Um, it's something I could try to send in an email or something if you want to put it in for next episode. Well, you have a direct line in email wow. to Jesus. <laughs> and realistically, realistically, the Jews would have probably just kept Jesus in jail for the weekend because they weren't allowed to execute people on holy days? Well, here, here's, a, here's an idea. Um, just to answer the other question as to the date of the actual execution. Mm -hmm. um, when the disciples were there, they thought while he was dying that this was the end and that it was all false. That's why they ran away and everything else. Um, as far as the Romans were concerned, he was a random carpenter that the Jews didn't like. Um, this wasn't a... Uh, a point at, in time where people were already believing. This was the point before they were believing, and therefore it wasn't documented in the same way as Cleopatra because she was already somebody that was... I mean, I, mean, I know that Jesus was already a figure in the time. People knew who he was, but everybody thought it was the end and that it was not going to matter anymore. Well, yeah, but yeah, but even after the fact, there are a couple of days. Let's say, for example, we discover the second coming is Nancy, and you know, and she's on left of the valley on today, and uh, she 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 ascends into heaven in three days. You know, I'd be able to say, "Oh my God, she was on my show three days ago." I'd be able to write that down. Uh, you would think, af even after the fact, you'd be able to say, "Oh my God, Jesus was crucified on that day," and then we found out. And sure, but, but there is nothing like that. And you know, like like even in Matthew, the zombies coming out of the, the the graves and the saints walking. You would think somebody will write that down. You know, uh, uh, Ezekiel came out of his grave and walked around in Jerusalem. You would think somebody would record that. Okay, but at the same time, Jesus is back now. He's resurrected. Uh, he came and back again. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but talking about from when, from the dis disciples' perspective, if Jesus is back from the dead. His death no longer matters because he's here now, um, and and 
you know, I'm sure at the time they all knew the exact date. Yeah, but if but it was important enough, if it was important enough to record what he said, why wouldn't it be important enough to record when he said it? And, and, well, and, and, and all that, yeah. And they recorded the zombie thing, like you said. None of the other gospels do, but Matthew does. I mean, there's a lot of other things he could have included. I mean, all he had to do was appear to Pontius Pilate, King Herod, problem solved. Yeah. And there would be so much, so much better evidence. And, and th this is just why we don't believe. I mean, it's good to have discussions to figure out why you do believe and, and why we don't believe. And I'm not going to convince you and you're not going to convince me. But it is good to hear the arguments. I just think that this is supposed to be the most important event in history. And much better evidence could have been left behind. Like I but said. that's the thing, though. Like, I'm going to throw something out there. It's completely fallacious to say that just because people don't believe it doesn't mean it doesn't have good evidence. I hear evolutionists constantly bemoan the fact that there's still six-day creationists out there despite all the evidence. It's just they choose not to accept it. What makes you think that you're any different in this case? Well, because, because of the, that's, why, that's why we're having this discussion, and that's why I'm saying the evidence could be better. You know what I mean? Like, we're actually talking about physical evidence here. When you start getting into actual physical evidence regarding things with evolution and whatnot, that's why there's virtually no biologists yeah. out there in the actual scientific community that are creationists. I mean, well, that's why it's we a, have it, Francis Collins and Kenneth Miller. It's important to point out that uh, because you're not a believer doesn't necessarily mean you're a denier. Right? I mean, if, if sufficient evidence was presented, I'm sure Tyler would be the first one to ask Jesus to, for forgiveness. Oh, I change my mind all the time. I was defending the Bart Ehrman camp of Jesus being based on a historical figure publicly. I got into heated debates with friends of mine a lot regarding that, and I have changed my mind. I no longer. Okay, well, here, here's, here's a question. A historical figure. I've never considered myself to be a scientist or a historian. Um, generally, I like philosophy more, and that's where my brain goes. But we're talking about historians here, and the majority of historians and scholars agree on the facts presented by Chris here. And if the majority of historians agree on those facts, who are we to say that we have more information than they do? These are people who have been studying this for a long time. I mean, Bart Ehrman doesn't disagree with the facts. Why is it that these facts are still contested when the majority of historians who actually study in depth these things, they agree on these facts, all the natural facts that we've presented. So if we're going to suddenly say that all of this information by these historians is complete garbage, I think you need to come up with a pretty strong argument as to why that is. Well, I would say this because even in science, uh, the facts are always subject to review. Right, and I, th I think I think there is a growing movement of mythicism, for example, uh, for when it comes to uh, the and history of Jesus. There's there's a growing movement of mythos mythicism. I can never say that word properly, um, but there's a growing movement. But the scholars, the people who've been studying it for the longest time, still agree on the facts. The people who wow. are, are the accredited the historians. Is that he's based on a real person. That's the consensus. The consensus is um, the the six facts, Chris just presented to you a few times here, those are the facts that are agreed upon. Those aren't just random facts of his life. Those six things surrounding the resurrection are historical facts according to historians. So if you want to argue that, we need... Okay, but we the need resurrection is what we're talking about, and there is no consensus on the resurrection. 
no, no consensus on the supernatural claims whatsoever. Yeah, there, there's a consensus on the fact that, like Chrissy said, you know, an empty tomb and the, 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 the person was crucified and all that. There seems to be some kind of consensus on that. Whether or not they agree to that equals a resurrection or not, that's what we're debating. Right, okay. Well, Can I share it's a also kind of like it, It's also like me saying my evidence for evolution is that 99% of biologists think so. Well, that's just pointless. There's not even any point of having that discussion because it goes nowhere and nobody learns anything. That's why we're trying to discuss the actual physical evidence here. Okay. Which so, is what you should do with evolution as well. Okay, Instead of appealing to a consensus or an popularity fallacy. Yeah. Okay. So here's at least another couple of examples. How much Oh, just just make your last argument, man. Okay, my argument is still that all other explanations fail to account for all the other facts. All the ones throughout history that people have put forward about the resurrection to explain it away have failed. You look at the empty tomb, or the the women went to the wrong tomb theory. Still doesn't account for why the disciples believe that Jesus appeared to them. It only accounts for the empty tomb, which didn't even convince the apostles. Um, doesn't account for why Paul was converted, doesn't account for why James was converted. You look at the idea that someone else stole the body. Okay, fair enough. Still doesn't account for the appearances. The hallucination theory. No place in history have we ever had it recorded that 500 people all witnessed a hallucination of the exact same thing. Hallucinations are subjective. That's well, I disagree with that. There's well, 500 that, people that, that experience the exact have, same hallucination? Have, Actually, more. You don't have 500 sources. You have Paul saying there was 500 people. That's, that's one source that's as like, well, yes. But that's the yeah, earliest that's creed points. that we have. And since people usually like Paul because he's so early, then they should be more willing to accept what he says on that because it's our earliest source. Oh, hold on, guys. I just got to come in. Uh, Teresa's saying something. Was this Teresa? <laughs> no, she, <laughs> she's making a sign there that we're running against the clock. Yeah. So if you guys would okay. be so fa so kind to give your final statements, I would appreciate that. Tyler, I'll, you go I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just say one thing and then I'll be done. So there's thousands and thousands and thousands of other religions out there, like Islam and stuff, where they claim 100 people saw Muhammad split the moon in half. And now, because of NASA, we know that's not true. Same thing with Joseph Smith performing all these miracles, blah, blah, blah thousands of religions and you agree that they're all made up correct yep so then i think the alternative that explains this whole resurrection thing the best is that it's made up just like all the other thousands of religions that you believe are made up that have very similar accounts of like i said a hundred people witnessing muhammad's miracles and joseph smith's miracles and all the other similarities i pointed out to you about Romulus and Dionysus and Osiris, all those are made up, but Jesus isn't. So I think that is the alternative explanation is that it's made up. Whether he really did believe he was the Messiah and was executed, I don't think we'll ever know if Richard Carrier or Bart Ehrman is correct. But all this other stuff is simply Christian sources. I think it's made up just like the stories about Muhammad. Okay. Um this is this will be my my last statement, just in in a bit of a rebuttal, but also to going back to the fact here, those other religions um, and where you point out that they have these great claims do n are not surrounded by natural facts that are agreed upon by historians as the resurrection and. 
in, in accordance with the resurrection, no other theory fits the facts that we have, and those facts are agreed by most scholars, skeptic or otherwise, and again, there's no other theory that fits those facts. So that basically leaves the resurrection as the only theory that's even probable in this case. Mm -hmm. Chris, your final statement, please. Yeah, uh, just first of all, I'd say that miracle claims in other religions don't disprove the ones in Christianity. And like Zach said, if there was evidence for any of them, I would look into that. I've studied other ones. Like somebody pointed out to me, uh, what was it, not too long ago, uh, an Indian legend where a guy named, I can't even remember the name, but apparently he fell into the river and that was enough, and then showed up t uh, the next day alive. And that was enough to convince the native tribes to unify and fight. Well, there's a, something missing there. He fell into a river and they didn't see him alive until the next day. So they never confirmed he was dead, let alone that he came back to life. So there was already evidence missing in the supernatural story. And when you look at all these other miracle claims, there is stuff missing, whereas in the resurrection story, there is enough, I would say, to confirm that he was alive, or that he was dead, and he was alive. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate the uh, your time and effort uh, towards that. Uh, Tyler, uh, if anybody wants to reach you, where can they find you? Oh, uh, well, you can find me at uh, the Church of the Basement Dragon Facebook group if you want to come and argue with me there. Perfect. And go take care of your kid. Yeah, all three of them. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Take care. Nice talking to you guys. All right. You Jeez. too. Bye. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Bye, Chris. Bye, Zach. Bye, Tyler. <laughs> that was Tyler. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, guys. <laughs> it was a fun show. Thanks again for having us, Kevin. That was great. Yeah, so uh, let the public know and uh, where they can find you, Chris and Zach. Um, you can email me at defenseofeden at gmail.com uh, or my Facebook, Chris Christensen. I respond to messages on both. So Perfect. Yeah, and uh, I'm probably easiest to get a hold of on Facebook, Zach Bosma. Um, and again, I'll, I'll respond to messages if I get them on there. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us on the show. You can join us at leftofvalue.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, LATV Podcast. Send your complaints to Nancy at leftofvalue.com. <laughs> send your crickets to Teresa at leftofvalue.com. Your, send your regards to Scott, either way. <laughs> uh, uh, that was a great show. I think we uh, covered a lot of ground there. It was. I think intellectually, I, I would have to say it was a draw. However, I'm going to give Tyler extra points for making his arguments while combating crying children. Yes. <laughs> I'll, that, I'll see that. That was, a, that was a handicap and a challenge <laughs> that he was able to overcome. So unless you can beat that one next time. <laughs> Perfect. Coming up, uh, we have uh, that interview with Cara Santa Maria coming up. I don't have my schedule in front of me, so I'm going off the top of my head there. Uh, well, we, uh, we also have the people from the Wayward Atheist that will be coming on the show, and I'll be going on theirs as well. And we also have Robert Price that'll be coming on the show talking about the history of Jesus. We might as well keep going with that. Chris, if you want to show back there, maybe we'll bring you back for that. Oh, that would be awesome. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, uh, like I said, uh, send us an email, left at valley at outlook.com. Anything else? No, I think it was a great, a great show. It's lovely oh. to have uh, live guests in the um, as part of the show. It makes it uh, livelier, and it's, it's, Chris has our, our, been our good friend, and Zach is a new friend, and so I know we can call on them for other topics as well, which is wonderful. And hopefully, the listeners will let us know who do you think won this argument. And Chris, just before you go, can I say, can you say, get you to say, hey, I'm Chris Christensen, and I took a left of the valley. 
So you can do the Zach too, that's fine. I'm Chris. And I'm Zach. And we took a left at the valley. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, you guys. Until next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.